You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. chapter 2 verses 1 through 8. If you'd like you can take a moment to turn there with me. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation tonight. Please stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. Again it's Titus 2 1 through 8. As for you Titus promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely, and you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Good evening, my name's Austin. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I want to join the rest of the folks who've spoken tonight and welcome you to Salem Prez. Um, We're going through the book of Titus right now. And when we started the book of Titus a couple weeks ago, I said that it can read like a lot of instructions, but that through those instructions, we can detect the story of the early church. Uh, Chapter two, which we're looking at tonight, is certainly full of instructions. When you read it, it feels like it's just a prescription list. Uh, But there is a story that's implied here, and it's the story of an intergenerational church. It's a church that has people of different ages, right? There's a phrase in there that says, uh, reflects wholesome teaching. It's in verse 1. And that features a Greek word that we've talked about before in Titus, uh, which is hugaeno, which is the word that we get hygiene from, or health. It means uh, healthy, it means uh, uncorrupted, it means pure. And it's the root for our word, hygienic. And um, we're bringing that up. In the, in the Titus series because we're talking about how Paul's trying to te- tell Titus to teach them about um, like a, 
a pure, a healthy spirituality within their church. Um, before I go any further, I want to give a quick caveat. Um, in fact, it's really a, a pertinent caveat tonight with all these people joining our church. Um, we take it personally when we're a part of a church and people leave our church. That's just kind of a thing that happens for Christians. Um, and sometimes we'll, we'll gasp and um, maybe even have heap shame on someone for leaving a church. Um, it can be wrapped up in a lot of emotions for the people that are leaving. And sometimes for us, we can reduce it down to just like, well, they bailed and that was some sort of failure or something. And I just want to make this caveat because tonight I'm going to be making a case for why I think it really is a loss when one leaves a church um, for a community within the same city, right? But I don't want this sermon to become a weapon for shaming people to stay at a church. So that's, that's my caveat. Um, the, we, just, you know, we just had a record-breaking number of vows, as Ben noted. Um, and vows, if you didn't know this, the, the term vow is when you make a promise to God. It's not a promise to other people. Shout out to my Exploring Salem alumni. They know that well. The West, Westminster, Westminster Confession actually has a whole chapter on what a vow is. And it's not a promise to another person. It's a promise to God. It's between God and a person and uh, that's the same for marriage. This is the same for members. When people get married, they're not making a vow to each other. They're making a vow to God for how they're going to care for the other person. Um, and that's important to note because uh, when we're talking about joining a church, people are not making a promise to us that they're never going to fail us. They're making a promise to God. And it's between them and God what they do with their life and their church membership. And it's also worth noting that you probably didn't hear a vow in there that said, till death do us part, right? Um, and that is actually one of the reasons why when people come up here, we interview them first. It's really important for elders to be gentle and slow and curious in how we help people discern if they're going to join Salem Prez. And uh, I've been talking a lot lately with some folks, um, with our staff especially, about that we don't want to be uh, prone to this sort of coercion where we push people to, to keep our membership vows. You know, you better keep your membership vows. Um, because they're not to us, they're to God, you know. And so the church should actually just gently assist people in talking to God about whether he has a different calling on their life. And I think a lot of times... Uh, he probably doesn't, and people need to stay where they are, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But I just wanted to kind of name that on the front end of this sermon, that that is the framework with which we think about church membership, that it's not till death do us part, and that vows are to God, not to other people. And that being said, this is where I want to go tonight with Titus 2, um, sticking with a, a lifelong church, one church community, is God's design for growing people into a healthy life of faith that can be caught and taught by younger people. Okay, that's my main point tonight, that sticking with a long life in one church community is God's design for growing into a healthy life of faith that can be caught and taught by younger people. 
So first, uh, let's define what healthy, wholesome doctrine looks like, because that's a phrase that's in this chapter. Um, and then I want to talk about what it looks like for older men and women and how that trickles down through the generations in the church, okay? So what is healthy, wholesome doctrine? Uh, when I read those words, uh, healthy and wholesome, and you put it in a religious context, that can actually feel a little, that can make me a little nervous. I don't know about you. Uh, you might hear cognates like purity and think of things like purity culture. Uh, you might hear wholesome, and it conjures up images of a shame-based, like, family values kind of moralism. Uh, even the word doctrine elicits thoughts of dogmatism and polemical religiosity. And I just want to ask you to shed those images from the idea of healthy and wholesome doctrine, okay? Paul's not talking about a preachy, legalistic expression of following Jesus, Think of Paul's own words if you're trying to uh, have evidence that he's not writing about this. Uh, this is the same man who gave us the fruit of the Spirit. And this writing in Titus is akin to that writing in Galatians. Uh, the Christian grows into being a person of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is healthy and wholesome doctrine. Uh, elsewhere in Ephesians, Paul, another book that he wrote, says that Christians grow into people who are not tossed about by the waves of deceitful trends, but instead people who speak truth in love. So here in Titus, Paul's using these verbs like promote and reflect. And he's talking about spiritual growth. He's saying reflect this doctrine, but what he, when he says reflect and promote, He's not talking about thinking. He's talking about living. He's talking about a spiritual life. He's talking about expressions of faith. It's not repressive. It's not finger-wagging. It's not even about teaching. It's about living. So forget any harsh images of pulpit-pounding or shame-teaching, anything of that sort. Um, to, be, to put on my Deion Sanders hat, it'd be like a... This is not repression, it's expression, okay? So forget those harsh images. Uh, Paul's telling Titus to liberate people from the world. He's saying, I want you to cheer on the community life where people are gentle, where people are patient, where people are loving, and that mature Christians correct their companions, not with doctrine that hits them over the head, but but with humility, knowing that they, those older Christians need correction too. And Paul actually says as much in another one of his letters, Galatians. So when we're putting together these fruits of the Spirit, the gentle correction, we're talking about people who speak truth in love, that is what we're talking about with sound doctrine from Paul. Uh, this phrase reflects wholesome teaching, teaching, or my paraphrase, which is to promote healthy spirituality, it's a culture. It's not a polemic. It's something that is cultivated within a group of people. Um, this means that it, it's a personality that a community of people takes on. It's not something that we memorize and repeat. It's something that we embody, right? What we want to be is a, a people who have joy in worship, a people who have peace with ambiguity and uncertainty, 
kindness and gentleness with struggle, uh, goodness in how we talk to each other, self-control. That is a culture that we want to have at Salem Prez, and that's the culture that Paul is encouraging Titus to promote in these little churches in Crete. So the question is, how do we cultivate that kind of environment of spiritual growth? And that's what Titus 2 is explaining to us. And it starts in a place that's not very intuitive for Western Christians. Um, again, in verse 2, we get this, this word for hygienic, this healthy vocabulary, where it says, teach the old men to, to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. There are people in this church who were at Redeemer, the church that planted us in its early years. Redeemer in Ardmore is the church that planted our church in 2011. And I get to preach there occasionally. I preached there twice in the last few months. That church was planted in 1982. And there are people who still go to that church who are part of planting it. I was born in 1982. To many of you in this room, that sounds like a very long time ago. <laughs> but there are also people that I've preached to who were a part of that church planting movement when I've been at Redeemer and here, who are either there in 1982 or shortly thereafter. And when I preach to these people, they come up to me afterwards, or they send me an email or a text saying kind things about what they learned from my sermon, okay? And I really appreciate that. It's, it's very kind. But I have a question for you all. Uh, do you really think that these people who've been in that church since 1982 uh, learned anything that they had not heard a previous pastor tell them that morning that I was preaching to them, a guy who was born in the year that they planted that church? At some point in your life, you will feel like you are not growing. Okay, have you heard this phrase? I just don't know if I'm growing. I don't feel like I'm growing. You will think to yourself, I just feel like I've heard this sermon before. There will come a day, and maybe it has already come, where you will think that the songs at church just don't hit in the same way. You'll think, you know, the preaching just doesn't exhilarate me in the same way with fresh insight. Um, you might sit in a small group and think, this is a bunch of people who are younger than me, with whom I don't share much in common. And that's when people start thinking, maybe we should change churches. And you start over with the fresh sermons and the new music, and maybe you find a church with people similar to you, which is not bad, honestly, but it cuts into the real beauty of becoming one of these elder saints portrayed in Titus. And the American church will not stop you from walking right out that door and finding something fresh. This is a bit of a tough truth that I, I, I think I need to address. Uh, for most of the world and most of history, people did not have choices as to their churches. If you lived in Geneva in the 1500s, you were going to that church in Geneva in the 1500s. 
if you didn't like the pastor, that's a real bummer because that's the guy in Geneva in the 1500s, right? There's a phenomenon in the evangelical church that when things get hard, when the sermons don't hit the same way, when volunteering becomes too laborious, people can look to the marketplace of churches and switch. Going back to the beginning of the sermon, that has happened to many of us. That is not a huge deal, okay? And that may happen when you leave here. I want to keep underscoring that, okay? That is okay. Just pray about it first. <laughs> but maybe when a church asks hard things of us, you know, or you just get bored with how things are, or any number of other rationalizations, uh, we will leave churches. And this happens regularly between the Presbyterian churches in Winston-Salem. It happens so much that when I was the moderator of our presbytery, I came up with a concept that I call, I found your dog. And I introduced it to all the pastors in the presbytery. Um, our dog, Piper, is a master escape artist. I wrote this sermon a couple days ago. As anyone in West Salem knows, uh, our dog gets out a lot. And I wrote this part a couple days ago, but then just this afternoon I was at a playground and Stephen Lankford, one of our elders, uh, found my dog out and, and uh, told us that our dog was out. So didn't even have to include this next part. Um, my neighbor John would frequently call me and just let me know, Piper's out. This was probably, what do you think, every other day, kids? Yep, every other day. Um, he moved to California. That may have been why he moved. Uh, he just didn't need the part-time job of tracking down my dog. Uh, he would let me know that he found her. And that was loving of him to do because John knows us. And the Christians in this city, we don't all know each other, but, but we know each other. We know, we know that there's, there's some good churches in this city. Uh, the weird thing would have been if John just kept her. If he was just like, I'm just going to, you know what, you should live here. We have a great house. Why don't you keep living here? And then never told us. You know, and I just look out in John's backyard, and there's my dog. He's just throwing the ball for her. Uh, that would be weird for, for all of us, for John, for, for our family. We would, uh, we would never take our neighbor's dog, right, and just keep that dog that wandered away. You would help the dog get home even if the dog wanted to escape. Of course, we're assuming that it's a, a decent home, right? But that is not what churches do. Uh, churches will just keep people. <laughs> they'll have someone come in and they'll say, yeah, you should, you should come to church here. Someone comes to Salem Prez from another church and, uh, and says, yeah, that church, it's, it's lost it. It's no good anymore. And of course, we want people to come to our church, right? So it's tempting to say, yeah, yeah, you should come here. It's really great here. Instead of, no, you should go home. Let me help you get back there. You know, or someone leaves Salem Prez and they say, uh, yeah, over there at Salem Prez, they've lost it. And the new church might say, oh, yeah, you should just stay here. But the good and loving thing to do is to help people go home, to take them back to whatever they may be running away from, be it conflict or simply boredom. Again, assuming that it's a, it's a decent home, okay? And this brings me back to the people who planted Redeemer the year that I was born. 
Do we really imagine that they stayed at Redeemer or helped plant Salem Prez because every year the sermons are surprising, the intellectual insights are consistent, and the labor is manageable? Is, is that why they have stayed there for 40 years, even though they've watched their friends leave? Are they finding their spiritual growth because the sermons are fresher than ever? Their small groups are as relevant as they've ever been. The music never challenges their sensibilities. Of course not. This portrait of older men and women in Titus is a portrait of people who have been led into healthy piety so these men and women can be part of the lives of younger people. That's where their spiritual growth is coming from. Their growth shifts from knowledge to experience. And they grow by doing life with younger people, by doing life. There's no age when I think you become one of these people, but I think it's probably younger than you think. Because so many of us are still waiting for the church to keep feeding us. And, and it, we're just a little surprised to find out that we might actually be the people that someone else in the church is looking up to. I think it just happens when you have people younger than you who are treading through a life phase that you've completed. And if you grew up in the church, I think it starts even earlier. When I grow up, I want to be one of those folks. And I'm afraid that I have grown up sooner than I expected and I need to try to start leaning into this more and more. It has been hard to go to church at Salem Prez. If you've been around here, we were the five o'clock service at Redeemer for years. And back then we had one staff member, Ben Milner, and no elders even when it started. Some of you will remember when the liturgy would be written down, it was written down, and someone would get up and say, I don't like, I don't like this, I'm gonna read a poem instead. <laughs> that, was, that was hard to follow along with. Um, and some of you probably really miss that. Um, later, we moved out of Redeemer, and we planted Salem Prez. We met at Green Street Methodist Church in the West Salem neighborhood. The building was different from Redeemer, and there was a lot of stairs, and it was a neighbor. See, I can tell that there's so few of you that were there back then because nobody laughed at that stairs comment. <laughs> There were a lot of stairs. Um, it was a neighborhood that people hadn't even heard of back then. It's in West Salem now. That Back then, people would say, where is that? No one knew where West Salem was. I did my first funeral ever in that church. It was for Gary Tuttle. Green Street was where a cat wandered in through the doors. It was a member's cat. It came right up to the front. I, I, we've got to find the recording because I think we have it. And Ben just goes... Ben is just preaching, preaching, preaching. There's a cat in here. And it, he, someone had to come up. It was very close to the communion table, pick the cat out, pick, carry it out. Uh, in 2016, Green Street found asbestos in their building, and we had to suddenly move out temporarily. Uh, how in the world we found this building, I can only say through God, we had no connection to this building. I mean, we cold called all these places, and this was not one of the places we called. Someone else connected us to Calvary Moravian. 
it was home Arabian. Um, but they let us come in, having never heard of us, not knowing us at all. And after our temporary stay at Calvary during the asbestos abatement, we decided not to go back to Green Street. And that was really hard for the folks who lived in West Salem. Some of us bought houses in that neighborhood because the church was planting there. And then the church moved here. So that, that's hard. But the good news was we found our forever home here at Calvary Moravian for two years until the ceiling caved in here. And then we moved back to Redeemer. And we spent a year at Redeemer. The ceiling was repaired. We came back here, and it was perfect, this beautiful sanctuary. We were here forever in this sanctuary until a global pandemic of a respiratory disease forced us to meet outside and be creative for nearly two years. And that was beautiful, but it was really hot in the summer, and it was really cold in the winter. And I had to lug hundreds of pounds of sound equipment in and out every week. But if you stick around a church long enough, you will get to build up a lot of memories like these. And you will probably build up a fair share of resentments. Friends will go through church discipline. People will die. Things will change and not be quite how they used to be. And I say all this to say that if you expect your spiritual growth to happen through stimulating your mind, you will plateau quickly. Fresh sermons and engaging community groups for the rest of your life, if that is what you are looking for, uh, for that you may have to keep changing churches. You may also never get to that sweet place where you can tell the 40-year-old preacher that you liked his sermon even though you've heard it all before from two or three other pastors. That's what it means to grow into the older men and women in Titus. So I'm running out of runway here, and there's a lot of other stuff in this text, so I'm going to deal with that kind of quickly. Um, it's important to talk about what Paul is saying when it says, train the younger women to be submissive to their husbands. And if you would like to talk about that more, Ben would like to meet with you. <laughs> And I would, I would be happy to meet with you, too. Um, but we also have a class in the spring that I teach that's called Exploring Salem, where we do go into talking about uh, gender and what the Bible says about gender. Um, as far as this passage goes about young people, um, all of these instructions that are being said to young people, they're for all of us. We need to hear all of them. But they're essentially analogs, okay? They map onto helping the young people grow into the life of the wise older people, okay? The reason I spent so much time in this sermon painting a picture of what older folks can be like is that an intergenerational church um, is the space where people grow into mature saints, and that happens through younger people looking at the older people and, and living uh, a life that's been fed into by them. Um, so if you're younger and you're reading these, uh, no matter how much younger you are, the idea is just that um, you may not be able to find a mentor in this church. You may not even find people that are older than you that have time to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with you. But you can chase spiritual growth through life together 
by working through the hard stuff, by being refined through that, that is what will happen to form you into that person. The people who planted this church, and you know who you are, you, they came from Redeemer for the five o'clock service to form Salem Prez, you know, the Milners being some of them. They, those people didn't have um, friends with kids their age. You know, they didn't have anyone to look up to that was the tip of the spear for the church. That's what they were. They were those folks, you know? And so even if we can't find that, um, their spiritual growth has come through just living life in the church for a long period of time. Um, teaching Sunday school, you know, hanging out with younger people, going to breakfasts, brunches, the prayer meeting, that might be just as impactful for your spiritual growth as the sermons and the worship music. There are so many idealistic reasons to leave a church community, and often they will seem so much more tangible than hanging around a space that you find challenging for a season. We live in a culture that makes it easy to run and very difficult for us to reckon with our limitations. So why stay when you feel like the sermons are predictable. And I'm saying that not about Salem Prez or Ben, I'm just saying that about church. Why stay in a church when you feel like you've heard it, you know? Why, uh, why when the songs are not to your taste, would you stay in a church, you know? When the community feels different, difficult, you know? I still find the sermons here fresh and I am partial to the music here. But I would say that if you have friends from other churches, be careful to draw them into Salem Prez because you like it and they're not loving their church. Help them reckon with the challenges. You know, help them stay within what's hard and not just change communities. Why reckon with these challenges when we can distract ourselves, right? That's kind of what our culture is proposing to us. Why, why reckon with challenges when we can distract ourselves with new hobbies, when we can consume new foods, you know, change our house, go on trips? You know, not all of us can do all of those things, but we are bombarded with the idea that we ought to if we can. That's, that's self-care. That's how you're going to feel fresh. Anything but showing up every week to Sunday worship and sticking with it through the tough stuff. Running away or distracting ourselves with consumption like travel or recreation, these are just numbing agents that delay our spiritual growth. Doing life in church, growing into an aged saint, it's like physical therapy. It stretches, it can hurt, but it makes us healthy. A new church, a new toy, an escape, these are spiritual icy hot, okay? They just mask pain, but they, they don't dissolve it, and they don't bring health. They disguise our hurts, our sin, and they may even hold off our intimacy with God. In fact, they probably will. The entirety of scripture points to one thing. You are made to talk to and hear from God. That's what the Bible is about. 
That's what the very beginning of the Bible tells us. And the rest of Scripture is all about bringing people back into a conversational relationship with their maker. The Lord spoke to Adam in, in creation. He spoke Adam into creation, and then Adam heard him. And we don't hear God like Adam did. Uh, we don't know the thrill of waking up to his voice every day, crystal clear. But we do try to find it in church. We try to find it through the reading of scripture, through the praying, the prayers together. And I think the way that that happens for us best is not through just fresh sermons, trying to get a new feeling. It's through sometimes the painful therapy that he applies to us by coming around this table each week with our struggles and our conflicts with one another. Amen? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. In front of his betrayer, he gave thanks to his father for providing it, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. It's the blood of the new covenant, the new covenant where I will pay your debt and I will be the perfect obedience for you. And it says in scripture that whenever we gather, we're to eat and drink this in remembrance of him. So if you are a member of this church, let's start there. And you've got a gripe with somebody then don't come eat this meal tonight. Go talk to them. That's something that it says in 1 Corinthians 11. It says, don't come to this table until you work it out. And no better night than a sermon on the intergenerational church, Titus 2, to say, to go to someone and say, hey, that prompted me to get, to get okay with you, okay? Second, um, if you're coming and you're trying to figure out what you believe, then we want you to know that we're glad you're here. As Ben said during the community update, we want to be a church where people wrestle with what they feel, what they think, what they believe. And so um, this is not a homogenous church in the sense that we do not want anyone, everyone to have to feel like they have to come up here. Uh, this is not a ritual. It's not something that's empty. Please don't feel any obligation. If, if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't know if you want to follow Jesus, then we want to get to know you. We want to talk to you about that. Please reach out to us. And, and don't come to this table because that doesn't feel like something that's going to be compatible with your conscience. So we don't want you to feel like you have to do something that doesn't feel uh, faithful to what you believe. At the same time, the bar for this table is about as low as it can get, which is that if you want to believe in and follow Jesus, then come to this table. That is it. That is it, okay? Let me pray for us, and then I'll give some instructions. Father, um, I pray tonight as we come to this table that you would nourish your people with the grace that you offer us, 
Um, I pray that if any of my words um, felt like legalism or, or some sort of coercion that feel boxed into the church, that you would um, liberate people from that because you do not require anything from them to come to this table. And at the same time, I pray that as we are nourished with that grace, that we would be um, fueled to grow deeper in our life within the church, that you would make us healthy, wholesome people uh, returned to the design that you had for us in Adam and Eve. We love you. Those who are serving with me, Remember, we love these rascals.